Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. All right, what's up, newly minted shard holders? This is Stephen, Josh, and Ben from Phantology. We have finished Rhythm of War. We're recording our part five raw reactions. Yeah, maybe not super raw, but our reactions of a sort uh, for part five only. And then we're going to go back and, and kind of talk the whole book and, uh, and and look at it from a broader lens. But we're going to zoom in on part five. It was the shortest part, I believe. I mean, I read it the quickest, just zoomed right through it. Super exciting. Loved every page. What about you guys? Yeah, part five was a masterpiece. I mean, I, I feel like that with every part five of Stormlight Archive. And I feel like I think this book is stronger overall than you guys did. But part five was solid, like 10 out of 10 pure goodness for me. Yeah, so I will say like overall thoughts on it. I mean, obviously super good. It did have more of like a roller coaster feel than like his typical um, standard lunch. I do still think the standard lunch was there. But it was kind of like crazy, crazy, crazy. And then like it died off a little bit. And then like in the final chapter with with uh, Teravangian, that's when it got crazy again. So I don't know. It was a bit of a different um, standard lunch than we we're used to, I thought. Yeah, I think Oathbringer was a little bit. Oathbringer had obviously a, a, a longer push through the standard lunch portion. But then there were a few kind of loose ends that needed to be tied up. Same with like Words of Radiance, you know, when when Adolin kills Sadius, uh, Sadius right at the end. Yeah. So there are some things, but I, I agree that it, this was more of a roller coaster. Yeah, I would say the bit, the things that got tied up in the previous two were big in terms of the like maybe smaller plot. But like when you have Teravangian like grabbing a shard, you know, like that's Cosmere defining and massive. So. I don't know. That was a much bigger event than I feel like Adolin killing Sadius or like. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Hashtag Todium. That's what the fan base is calling the new Odium now. Is it? Are they calling it now after you said that or? No, no. I've, okay. I've seen this on Reddit. Todium compared to Rhodium. Okay. Raise Odium, Teravangian Odium. Got to keep them separate somehow. Okay. Before we get started, if you like Phantology, you can find our other reviews of Rhythm of War online at www.phantologybooks.com. Dot com. We've also covered some other, a few other Sanderson things. Not that much, honestly. We're going to probably uh, do a little bit more on him next year. We've covered a lot of Jim Butcher, Joe Abercrombie, Harry Potter, even a few other kind of random things. So check that out. We're online. Pretty easy to find. And then if you want to chat with us more, you can do that on Discord. So our links, our invite links are in our episode descriptions. And come on there, let us know your theories, what you thought of the book. And if you want to support the channel, you can do that at patreon.com slash phantology underscore books. So we're going to start by talking about the last sequence of interludes, which was a Hesina point of view, an Aiden point of view. You're like, who the heck is this kid? And a Teravangian point of view. 
I think every set of interludes in this book had a Teravangian, and they all had different chapter titles. So these interludes for you guys, I mean, were they mostly just kind of set up? Okay, I think that the Hasino one was the most, like, probably my favorite interlude of the book. Okay. Just because it it gave me that closure that I wanted of, like, kind of knowing Kaladin's family. We we kind of saw... Tian? Lirin. Lirin. Yeah, Lirin. Not Tian. Kaladin's father's not Tian. Yeah. <laughs> Lirin, uh, we kind of saw him get owned by his wife, which is always could see and it just gave me shivers when he looked around and he saw everybody wearing the the shash glyphs and then he goes up and talks to our uh-huh. our new favorite one-armed person in the story why am i forgetting his name he's like kind of the the guy that yeah kaladin rescues like five letters starts with the t yeah to- total something like that yeah so he talks to him and she- he kind of like helps him see like, hey, if your son can get up in the morning, then I can get up in the morning too. He's the one that gives us hope. For sure. It was it was very touching. So by far my favorite, probably favorite interlude of the book. Definitely better than Cheery Cheery. And get, yeah, yeah, for sure. A little bit more in this one. And then uh, at the end, when Kaladin rescues Laren, he's got the Shashcliffe. He has put it on himself as well. So a lot of, yeah, a yeah. lot of, like you said, a lot, a lot of good foreshadowing, a lot of good kind of loose ends here tied up with the storyline. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the Sestino chapter two or interlude, I should say. I feel like Kaladin's whole interaction with his family is defined as the conflict between himself and his dad and his mom just doing mom things in the corner. But this definitely made his, made Hasina a much more realized character. And so I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And then going into the other two, so Aiden, he was the little kid who I think we'd briefly seen in some of the earlier adventures in the tower, really just kind of like the boots on the ground setup for the Sanderlands that's happening. And he he gets a brief point of view a little bit later when Kaladin throws his plate onto him. And so uh, this kid's kind of fun, I guess. And then obviously Taravangian, lots going on there. A little, little bit of setup here. Yeah, I feel like Aiden... Sanderson loves doing this uh this random kid point of view. I feel like he did it in one of the one of the last wheel of time books, maybe right at the beginning. Well, it's in the very first chapter of Way of Kings after yeah. the the prelude. Yeah, I don't know. I I think it works really well too. It kind of it gives you a refreshing perspective and and just like seeing how it's fun to see how a kid would perceive the world. You know what I mean? That that's exactly how any of us would would act too. Like if if we saw Spren starting to bond, yeah, it's like world building in and of itself. You know, it, it's kind of like the end of the Last Jedi when you see the kid with the broom or whatever standing, and you zoom out, and it okay implies that more people are going to get the Force. You know, it it gives you that other perspective of what magic looks like to other people. Not that Star Wars actually did anything with that storyline, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, I remember that scene, but I remember that it had zero payoffs. Yeah. So, but like reminiscent of that scene, actually done well. I mean, we'll see if there's more with Aiden. You know, knowing Sanderson, Aiden is going to be like a something in the next era of of Stormlight. Yeah. He's going to be like a Windrunner or something. Yeah. Are people shipping Aiden and Lyft yet? <laughs> they should be if they're not. And. Listen, I feel like it's it's cool because it also shows how Windrunners in particular, but Knights Radiant in general, are inspiring people to be better and inspiring humanity to do better. 
you, you know, that's kind of the purpose of them, right? And that's kind of uh, reflective of Aitlin's journey and Shadesmar trying to convince the Spren that the humans are trustworthy. And just like how the Spren and the humans can elevate each other to new heights. And you're kind of seeing that through Aiden's perspective. Yeah, doing better is for sure a theme of this, I think. Does do Navani uh, and the sibling kind of get into that a little bit as well? Yeah, yeah, not exactly. Is it? Is it? I think it's like the sibling says, "You're not worthy." Or, no, it's more the Stormfather. It's more the Stormfather and Dalinar. Dalinar yeah. is trying to teach the Stormfather to do better. Yeah, well, that's that's for sure. Like, I'm a storm. Be more, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I think the the sibling also tells. And Navani that that she's not worthy and she's like I can be I'm working on it you know what I mean there's a little bit of yeah. that going on yep. there but I think that we also have seen the sibling maybe wasn't worthy of Navani a little bit you know what I mean like they're they're going to grow into each other for sure yeah so before we get into all of that let's talk about the chapter headings in part five so these ones were written by someone named L on the first of the final 10 days and they drove me a little crazy for most of the part because I was like should I be knowing what this is? I, and then finally we get this viewpoint of L who seems to be like the, you know, the head evil fused almost like a, like a Bosleman type character from wheel of time. He's got the curved horns and he rips out the spikes and replaces it with metal and he kills Lesian at the end. And so we get his musings here and uh, you know, I'm not sure if this works for me, so real quick, before we get into it, because I just had an epiphany, do you think that ripping out the spikes and replacing them with metal has anything to do with like or for hemorrhage, you think? Or hemorrhage? <laughs> yeah, we got there. <laughs> um, I, I made a Reddit post asking people, like, what is going on with L? And there was some speculation on that. I'm not convinced, though. I Well, the Fused can't leave Roshar, so I don't see him having... Well, I don't know. I, I can't remember, recall how hemology would work on another planet. In order to answer your question, though, Stephen, I think that this is something that would probably work really well on a reread of the series because L is probably going to be pretty important in this next book, I, I imagine, in yeah. book five. And so this one was kind of hard because, like you, I didn't know if we were supposed to know who this was and I couldn't Google it because spoilers <laughs> abound, you know? So, I kind of just read them without quite knowing if I was stupid for not knowing right. who it was. Or... Well, okay, so I will push back a little bit. I agree with those points, but I also thought it was cool how the, just the content of it. Like, I didn't know who was writing it, but it was cool to see, like, how this... It was pretty clear that it was a fuse to me, or at least a non-human. Like, would view humans yeah. and kind of, like, they're imperfect, but trying and passionate, but weak and... Like all these different things. So like the actual content of them, I felt was probably the, some of the best um, in the book. That's fair. So this guy seems like he will be a compelling villain. But I guess I just don't like how in the series we continue to build up a villain and then kill them. And then next book, we're building up a new villain and we're killing him. Mm -hmm. In this book, we're building up Ravanio and Lesian and then we're killing him at the end. And now in the final book of this sequence... Now L is going to be the big villain along with Todium, I guess. Well, okay. So, okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I also thought it was strange how L wasn't one of those like 10 or nine or however many fuse that were like in uh, uh -huh. Elifkar. I thought that we would see more of them for sure. 
and we didn't. So that's kind of weird. They're just kind of like still trapped in stone, I guess, doing their thing. Al is way too cool to be trapped in yeah, stone. That's that's for it's sure. Clear that he would not be into that. And okay, how foreboding is it? That's the final ten days, and we learned that there's ten days until the the contract's going to be fulfilled. Until the yes, yeah, so we assume champion. he's writing this on on the first on day, day leading up to the ten. Yeah, right. So day one being today, the day after. Yeah, like basically today. Now that right. we finished the book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I've got I've got to assume that what that's what it is, but also. You know that he wrote that, but somebody wrote the f- the first day of the final ten days, right? Like it was being rewritten. Well, maybe he just assumed it was the first. Like if you believe that oh. there's only ten days left until oh, that's fair. You know, the end of the world. You'd be like day one of the final ten days. Okay, I buy that. So, so let me push back on the comment about the the villains being killed off, Stephen, because I actually kind of find that refreshing about Stormlight Archive. I think it is kind of a trope in fantasy that I'm okay with having let go of where there's just one big bad villain and everyone else is kind of bosses. Okay. Until you get to that big bad villain. Because I think that a la wheel of time where the bosses are the different forsaken that we're fighting against every book. (laughs) Right. Or like Voldemort. Yeah. And while like Sanderson does kind of wear that influence on his sleeve with Odium being like the big bad, you know, godlike uh, villain and the fuse and stuff so, like you can kind of get that and the unmade specifically i think remind me a lot of the wheel of time yeah but my point is is that i think that it it does allow more world building to have these more uh granular villains specific to books and arcs within the books you know like how he said he treats kind of each book like a trilogy or like a pentology or what however he says it you know like each book is like five books yeah it's a story in of itself yeah yeah with the five yeah and so i I feel like that's why he does it is because i think it does lend it more to that type of storytelling okay so you bring up odium so one of my questions after finishing the book is teravangian odium todium says that he's going to now save the world and he has the capacity to do so and it seems like it's gonna be great but what is he saving the world from? Just himself? Like, what exactly is this conflict? Well, before, back when it was Rhodium, he, when he was talking to Dalinar in his final contract, it made he made it pretty clear that, like, the Fused were kind of doing their own thing. Like, he, he had limited yes. power over the yeah. Fused. So that's, I mean, one thing that he could be referring to, like, reigning in that. I also... You know, if we think about other uh, worlds in the Cosmere, there were uh, times where the god was still trying to stop the world from destruction and maybe having unintended results. And so maybe there's something else on Roshar where it was a slow in a slow death spiral that our characters didn't know. I have the, I have a hard time believing that, but it could be. There's still some unanswered questions. Yeah. Well, we do know about Ashen being destroyed. So maybe he feels oh, like true. he needs to constrain these radians before they destroy Roshar like they destroyed Ashen. Yeah, we still have the whole recreance question. We still have the whole Oath Pact question. We still have the question of like what made the Shattered Plains. There, there's a few kind of major things that still have to be resolved. Obviously, some twists to come. So I, I could see it. Okay. Okay. And now that he has all this knowledge, he knows all these things, we would assume, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so do you think that in these next 10 days, do you think Teravangian is going to try and take over the whole, like expand, I mentioned expanding the borders. Do you think he's just going to try and straight up take over the whole world, like all of Roshar in the next 10 days so that he can have control over the world regardless of what happens? I think it's really fascinating that the deal that's made that that set up these 10 days was made with Ray's Odium. And now Teravangian comes in and he's like, oh, we've got this deal going on. And so he's got to make his plans around this thing that Dalinar set up when Dalinar had no idea that there was going to be a huge shift in who his enemy was. I guess I'm not answering your question, but um, I, I think there's a lot of potential here. That was a very politician answer, Stephen. Josh was like, do you <laughs> yeah. think, what do you think about this specific thing? And you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that thing. <laughs> so... I- that is a very interesting dynamic. What, what bothered me on the contract was Wit writing the contract is very clear that as long as you contain Odium to the Roshar, Rosharian system, then that's like a win, right? Like that is right. that is what your goal, like mission accomplished, at least for like the for health Wit, of the at least yeah for yeah. Wit, and we we assume that you know that that's a that's a good ambition, and so it it struck me as weird. So like. To me, that implied that Odium had goals of breaking out of the system, right? Like, if you want to prevent him from doing that. Oh, for sure. He Yes, he did, definitely. So that was kind of weird that Odium was willing to give up that much ground so quickly well, no, in the negotiation. just for a thousand years, though. That's true. But I think he negotiated himself into, like, like ever, right? Or is it just still for a thousand years? No, the, the whole thing. So I, I'll read off the, the terms of the contract because there was a lot of negotiation back and forth. Okay. So the terms of the contract are there's going to be this contest of champions to the death on in, in 10 days, top of year Thiru. And if Dalinar wins, then Odie must remain bound to Roshar. And then Dalinar gets Alethkar and her dad's back. And then hostilities cease, peace is maintained, and we're good to go. And if Odium wins... Was that for then, a thousand years that he's bound? Or is that just he's bound, period? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I think it is still a thousand years. Okay. And then if Odium wins, then he gets to keep all the ground that he's won. He still remains bound. Hostilities cease, but Dalinar serves him. Dalinar serves Odium. So as an, really, like the, as a fuse. The only difference is the fate of Dalinar and maybe the fate of Alethkar. Yeah, and who controls? Much, yeah, well, and who controls Roshar? Yeah, yeah. So it's still the fate of Roshar. Okay, but there will be peace either way. Well, well, because. Odium, I think, is preparing like this group of super soldiers to go take over the rest of the Cosmere, right? right? Yeah. So he can stay maintained in the system, but he can like send them off to other worlds to do battle. Is kind of what it seems like his goal is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Odium's net goal, I think we learned this in this book, or maybe this is just something that I've picked up, but his goal is to kill the other shards and absorb their power into him. And then no, essentially become. Hold on, that was raised. I don't think he was going to absorb their power because he didn't want it influencing him. I think. Oh, I thought that he just he wanted, just to, wanted to kill him. Like, like he didn't absorb honor; he just killed honor. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I said that wrong. So he just wants to kill them and prevent any other powers from being on his level. Yeah. Right. So, but to my original point, I think yeah, the negotiation struck me as like. Wow, this is not aligning with what I assumed Odium's goals would be out of this negotiation. And part of it was because he Ray's the shard holder 
and the power of the shard were in conflict and he was bursting at the seams right. pretty much because he had lost all these things and he was just continuing to fall apart. And this was hinted at the whole book. So I thought it was a pretty nice payoff there. Okay, I could buy that. Like he lost control of Euthero. He um, like Dalinar not being his champion. Like we saw kind of like the slow demise of his kind of grand yeah. scheme. Okay, so what about this? We know that Teravangian is aware of the blind spot caused by Renarin. How do you yeah. think that's going to change? Like, do we think that Odium was also aware of that blind spot? Or, I mean, or were they able to leverage that blind spot because Odium wasn't aware of it? I think Odium was aware of it, but he wasn't aware that anyone else was aware of it. Okay. I see. I don't know. I think if Odium was aware of it, he would have been going a lot harder after Renarin than he was. That's true. Yeah, Seth, yeah, Seth was going around killing, you know. Like yeah, it seems like he could have had uh, Renarin killed, or at least tried. Yeah, yeah you, know, you know, that's one thing. I wish we would get some more Renarin. Like, he's just kind of been in the background, like the whole series, and doing important things. But like, we know what the Spren were sent by Renarin to bond, spawn Relaine at the very end. Yeah, Relaine bonded. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. That like, uh, Renarin, Renarin is like commanding spren to go do things well that's from uh you know from the connection with shah not who is trying to get more of her children bonded yeah but still i mean he because he had like this like the that spren referred to him as like the son of thorns or something i don't know like yeah that was a kind of a weird title yeah yeah no, well, it's because blackthorn or blackthorn yeah but still it's oh, cool okay not as weird of a title okay it's a cool title man but my point is, we need more Renarin. If he's going to be like this person that's influencing events on every level, we got to have more, more of his viewpoints. Okay, yeah, I can see that. How do we think this is going to go? I mean, uh, so the, the the contest will happen. Dalinar is saying he's going to be his champion. I assume Teravanchi's champion, Totem's champion, is going to be L, or I don't know. Maybe man. I don't know. Is I think that I mean, Teravangian probably has, kind of outside of his influence, but yeah, I mean, I, Moash is definitely somebody that comes to mind. Well, yeah, but Moash is hand, like handicapped, blind, yeah. you know, blind, major handicap, and Kaladin. I mean, I think that throughout the book, I was like, dang, could Kaladin actually become Odium's champion? But he's in a pretty good place now, and I doubt that's going to change over the course of ten days. Yeah, yeah. So that was interesting. Who here thought when? I guess this is deviating slightly. Right after, right after Kaladin killed the pursuer, his, it was described as his eyes going like yellow, red. His eyes were reddish yellow, and Benly was like, "Those look familiar." Yeah, yeah. To me, I was convinced. I'm like, "Oh crap! Here comes here comes Kaladin becoming Odium's champion, or like embracing more Moash's desires." Really, you thought it was going to go that dark? I never thought it was going to go that dark. I didn't think it was either. But when, when, dude, when he has reddish yellow eyes and just lashed some dude's head to the ground, tore off his head, and he just lost Teft, he thought he was going to lose his dad. I could have seen him going that dark. I mean, in the moment. I mean, how did you explain the eyes? Yeah, no, I, I think that is what it was. But I never thought that Sanderson was going to do that to Kaladin. That's not his his brand. Maybe that was. Kind of Sanderson giving a head nod to okay, this is where it would happen, and and it didn't like to all the theories. Yeah, he was trying to set up that tension that you just described. Yeah, which sounds like it worked for you really well. Yeah, I mean it definitely did. 
Okay, can I just tell you one other thing? And this is what you get for like listening to words of Brandon, like before slash while you're reading. Sanderson made a point of saying, when you get to the top of the tower, tower, you know that the Sandra Ranch is coming. And yeah. when I, okay, so like obviously you read where like Kaladin rescues his dad. I'm like, that's awesome. But then you're reading in the contract where it's going to take place at the top of your theory. I'm like, wait, hold on. We're going to go back to the top of the shower. Is this like another standard edge coming? I only have like 4% of the book. What's going on? So that was also very nerve wracking when it didn't need to be. So he actually said when you get to the top of the tower, that's when the big character moment is happening that he visualized since the conception of the series. So not not the Sander Lynch. That was the big character thing with Kaladin okay, saving his father and finally swearing the ideal and meeting back up with Tien, which was a okay. 10 out of 10 for yeah, me. Yeah, let's talk. So I do not cry very often in books, but I shed I shed some tears. Yeah, how, ma- how many tears? I mean, I wasn't like sobbing, but I was like beyond like the, you know, beyond choking up some, you uh-huh. know, somewhere uh-huh. in there. I was, I mean, it was like one in the morning and I was like yeah. feeling it, but <laughs> oh, man. And, and so, okay. My interpretation, not to get too technical, cause this was, I want to get back to like the emotional impact of this, but my interpretation was that this was actually Tien in the spiritual realm. That's kind of what I thought as well. Yeah. That could be. Dalinar said he was connecting. Said yeah, I'm connecting with the capital C. With, with, with something. Yeah. And we know that, I mean, obviously, uh, Kaladin was able to find his, the, like, the horse in the... Yeah, kind of in the rubbish bin the down rubbish. there yeah. from some trader randomly, yeah. So, I could believe that. I'm going to say, though, I lo- I like the scene. I didn't love the scene as much as you did. Get out of here. Boo. <laughs> I, maybe it was the, the build-up, but, like, to me, the plate didn't do anything. Right, like, Wait, well, well, let's go back to Tien. Are you moving off Tien already? <laughs> no, okay. Tien was, Tien was good. Uh, maybe I was reading it too late. I know. Go back and this will be big on my re reread of it. I guess to me, uh, to me, yeah. You need to read that again. It was really good. <laughs> I'm with you, Josh. I also, I also cried. I'll admit it. Yeah, and I, and I'm not ashamed to admit it because it was some really good stuff. And you know, he finally swears the ideal, and he accepts. All of these pent up emotions and this, you know, terrible sorrow that's just racked him for so long. He's able to put some not not closure, right? Because he's still dealing with these things, but it's a huge step forward that we haven't seen yet. And it's we were so pumped for him, and it was done in such a emotionally impacting way. Yeah. Okay. So I guess part of the reason why I didn't love the scene was like the fourth ideal was so obvious and we like all knew it was coming and like part of me wanted it to be some cool thing that nobody saw coming and maybe that just was never going to happen because it it was what it was and that's just i think there was too much speculation on what the fourth well, ideal it, actually was yeah and that's not the point the point of the ideals has, have never been like oh here's a twist in the cosmere right you know what i mean like oh here's something that you could never have guessed like teravangian becoming odium we pretty much all knew that Kaladin was having a hard time accepting it because he was having a hard time accepting that he couldn't save everyone. Like we didn't know that, you know, there's speculation over what the exact wording was going to be, but that wasn't like a secret, you know? Well, it's never confirmed either. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying like, maybe that's why I played like the scene didn't just land as well with me. And I'm not saying that it should have been different. I'm just saying from my enjoyment while reading the scene, that that's kind of one thing that took it down a notch. 
it, it, the scene was just so cinematic with yeah. Paladin falling through the air, having lost oh, all yes. hope. And, you know, and then the Stormfather coming in and slowing down time for him. And and just choosing, you know, like, I don't think you would call it like a straight up suicide. Because I don't think he was really like trying to kill himself. But he threw himself off the tower with virtually no hope of rescuing his father. It was mean, a suicide. They did talk about like, they did say, you know, if if they jump off the tower, there's a chance they might get their powers yeah. restored. So maybe yeah. he's just like, what the heck? We got nothing left here. Right. Let's go for it. It was kind of an abandonment of like all hope. You know, like it even says like he, he embraced yeah. dark. It, it, you know, it wasn't straight up like I'm making the choice to end my life right now. But it was like, I've lost all hope. My father's down there. If I can't rescue my father, then I don't uh-huh. want to be alive. You know what I mean? That's kind of the way I, I, I read it. Yeah. yeah. I, I Well, he's, he references his uh, his past experience, like looking over at the Shattered Plains and talks about how he stepped off this time when last time he didn't so he was in a very similar place yeah i agree i mean i I think we're saying the same thing so josh i love that you brought up the fact that he was bending his hope because hope was a huge theme in part five in now three different things now that you mentioned it here so there was that conversation with yasna and dalinar where they kind of go back and forth and yasna's like hope is terrible because it can lead you to make decisions that are not in your best interest because you think like like it might turn out well, but you know, really in all probability it won't. And Dalinar's like, well, humans aren't rational beings, and you know, hope is what still, you know, let, lets us keep on going, right? And then when Teft died, they talked about uh he still had hope for a brighter future and he died with hope in his eyes and and then Kaladin losing all hope here, but then regains it. So I thought all the parallels here just with this idea of hope was really good. Yeah. So one of the coolest scenes about hope was in Yasna's and Wit's conversation where they're kind of talking about like what the, what's going to determine uh, the battle. And Wit says, I'm quoting here, it's same thing. It's always been about Yasna. Yasna, Wit said, the hearts of men and women, do you trust the hearts of those Uh who fight on your side? Like just super cool. Like that's going to be the determining factor. And Yasna pauses yeah. and can't respond, and what's like that's a good answer. Yeah, she said she paused and hoped she didn't read, and hoped he didn't read too much into it. Yeah, so that was that was really cool. Also, can we talk about the finger kissing while we're on the subject of? It's kind of weird. N two seventeen Stormlight Archive edition. <laughs> She's like, it did nothing for me. Yeah, the the safe hand kissing was kind of weird, but that's that's their culture. Have we seen that? We might have seen that a little bit with Dalinar and Navani before. I can't remember exactly. But uh, Yasna's character. So so Sanderson said in a Reddit post that she was asexual. Yeah. Uh, this came out before this Reddit post came out before the book um, was actually released. And he talked about the struggles that he was having and wanting to write this in the correct way. I really don't have any experience with this, so I'm not certain. But uh, I mean, with a lot of the other things that he's trying to represent, I'm assuming he did a pretty good job. And it's interesting, right? So she is interested in wit because of the knowledge that he has and the compelling nature of just who he is. Mm-hmm. And they have a sexual relationship, but she doesn't care for that nearly as much as he does. Yeah. And it's also seeing like interesting, seeing wit a bit thirsty too. You never thought you would see that side of him. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, we never really see it, but Yasna's like, Oh, I hope that I can provide that for her. like, 
I can provide that form. I just am not getting the same out of it. Like you, like you did a really good job summarizing. So, I mean, I wish we would have gotten more Yasna and Wit in this book. I think that they're hopefully going to be a big part of the next book. Although, you know, with Wit being not like a little bit witless at the, by the end of the book, then, yeah, you, you know. Yeah. So how, how big of a, do you guys mind if we talk about that real quick? How, how big of a deal was that? I, I mean, I think it's a pretty big deal. I have no idea. It seems so. What exactly happened there? To to recap, so Caravangian noticed a loophole in the contract where he's like, "Well, I can still affect you by taking some of your investiture," and he takes away his breaths that have stored some of his memories. Right? Yeah. And so I don't know if it was just the memory of the conversation that had just happened, or if it was like a lot more than that. Seems like it's got to be more than that, right? Or otherwise, what was the point of doing it? It's going to give him some knowledge, something that is going to be important. And we don't know what happened to his cryptic friend. Yeah. Because his cryptic friend wasn't around at the end. So was all of his investiture stripped away? It couldn't have been. He would have noticed that, you'd think. I think his breaths were at least taken. I don't think all of his breaths like because I think it had to have been something that he wouldn't notice immediately, you know? Yeah, because because it, 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 we we're inside his head and it wasn't like he was suddenly lost all of his power. You know, it was like some small little things had changed and he could kind of maybe sense something was off. But but the coin did uh-huh. slip. He fumbled the coin. I don't know. We obviously don't know too much into too much about this. Oh, gosh. And. Others on Discord were saying it was like an internal loop. I just thought that he like took his memories and then reset it, you know, just kind of loop through one more time and then he would be able to, you know, get out of that. That's how I read it, but I'm not sure. And I'm still just confused on what Todium's plan is, but we're not supposed to know. I'm, I mean, this is book five. <laughs> yeah. I have one more quote from Kaladin about hope. If we, if, if we can finish off that theme about hope really fast. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Finish off hope for us. So this is when, he is on his way to try and save the Radiance and he meets up with Syl. It says, Kaladin nodded, then turned and continued, shadowed by the hopes and prayers of hun- hundreds, shadowed by his own reputation. That is just like such good writing right there. Like Sanderson gets a lot of flack for like not being very flowery with his language, which like that's not obviously flowery, but it's very like, gosh, so s- symbolic, like just kind of these shadows that are trailing Kaladin. Uh-huh even the shadow of his own reputation and how that ends up weighing him down. Like that part really got to me when I read that, I like highlighted it. I'm like, geez, this is, this is some seriously good stuff. One thing that I love in writing is parallel structure and repetition of themes and development of the same types of things in different points of view. And it's something that Joe Abercrombie does really well. And that's probably the top reason that I like reading his books because they're just so perfectly structured and maybe this is just kind of like a me thing because i'm very much a type a personality but these types of things and and like with navani's parallel structure as well from beginning to end i just love reading that it's just it's perfectly balanced yeah as all things should be okay just this is super random there's a musical it has anna kendrick in it i'm forgetting the name of it uh, into yeah. the woods no. no i know what you're talking it's about it's like it it approaches it, from her viewpoint, it starts the relationship with this guy, and then oh, I know, yeah, I watched this. I watched this. Uh, I don't know why I'm forgetting it, but that is like it's like something, some amount of days, right? 
I don't know, but like every every scene, you get like a super happy scene because it's right at the start of the relationship from her perspective, and then his perspective ends at the end of relation or starts at the end of the relationship, and then they meet in the middle. And when you talk about parallel structure, that might be one of the best examples I've seen of the like these kind of themes clashing and making a really cool hole while using this really cool structure. But yeah, I, I mean, to your point, this book does that very well. It's called The Last Five Years. The last five years. I was close with days. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Under underrated movie. Underrated movie. Go everyone watch go, it. Everyone go watch the movie. Yeah. Great soundtrack too. It really was. I think the music was better than the actual movie. Okay, what other character things? Let's talk about Dalinar a little bit. So Emol is still a thing a little bit at the beginning. Uh, still something that I didn't love about the book, unfortunately. Yeah. But the interaction with Ishar afterwards was interesting. I, I kind of ate my words with the whole Emol paying off thing. It didn't. But the Ishar thing. The Ishar thing was cool. I just, I, I'm with you. We could have done without Emol. It was just a reason for Dalinar not to be in the tower. You know, that's what it was. It really was. A little disappointing. It seemed like we were going to set up for the same, maybe because we had all read Oathbringer and we were expecting everyone to come together at the end for the big thing. But Adolin and Shallan remained out there. They didn't really impact the Sanderlanch moment. And Dalinar, he did directly impact, you know, helping out Kaladin and the Stormfather. But that whole thing was resolved on its own. I, I will say too, like when they kind of did the flyby and tossed Kaladin back up on the bridge, like we had seen that before. So I don't know. Like I probably could have done without the tossing Kaladin back up well, on the floor. Well, I think that that was important because it didn't. It seems like that didn't come as out of nowhere. That's as fair. It, it, it I don't know. Other, but felt. still, it gets really a little bit repetitive when Dalinar is like off, not really caring about the tower. He's just like, okay, like he knows that they're struggling and not doing not doing everything he can. And then he like does his flyby saves every uh-huh. every high storm, you know. He's like, oh, I'm off in emo doing my thing. Oh, you guys need some help? Okay. Yeah. Well, okay, it was more than that. They had talked about the high storm coming and taking over the tower for like a few chapters about how it was going to be the biggest one yet, reach the top of the yeah. tower. They talked about that at the beginning of the book. And then the Stormfather is like the son of Tanavest is is in great need or whatever and Dalinar is like take me there and then I thought it was I thought it was cool okay no I, I okay okay yeah we were, I was probably more joking but um the emo thing was, was yeah emo thing was bad let's yeah. move on past that 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 could have been done a lot better okay the Ishar thing was cool though right Ishar, I liked it yeah so let's talk about how convinced were you guys that that Ishar was going to sever the bond that Dalinar had with the Stormfather okay that one I thought was happening I thought yeah it was happening. I was like oh here we go you know, I I didn't ever think Kaladin was going bad, but I did think that was happening. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. another one of those things that like now readers are aware that it could happen. So I think it might not happen, but there's going to be another time where we're worried about it uh-huh. happening because I don't know. To me, it was a very big setup. You know, like here's what could happen. Here's or, the danger. Or what could be cool is that might be how Dalinar is able to Dalinar might be able to sever the bond mm. of somebody you know of odium's champion or something yeah that could or be. maybe donar loses the duel but somehow still doesn't have to have his soul bound i don't uh, know that, that scene and that ability of bondsmiths of being able to sever connection or investiture that was it severing the nail nile bond completely or I, I think that's what was happening yeah yes so that was that was pretty crazy also we can talk about how Zeth's blade made an appearance. I don't want to 
give it a name because I don't want to spoil other things, but like that, how it broke that connection and chipped the honor blade. That was yes, pretty crazy. It chipped the honor blade. Dude, I, okay. I remember, do you guys remember this when we went to the release of words of radiance? I believe it was, or maybe it was one of the Mistborn books and somebody asked what would happen if you took Seth's. Well, before we even knew it was Seth's blade, because I think we found out it was Seth's blade and words of radiance. It, what would happen if they if a shard blade and that blade met and oh death, really yeah and sanderson made a comment about like this is basically a raffle but it was like oh that would be very interesting when uh, like when slash if that happens did that comment give him I know, the I was idea gonna say, how, well, no, be, and we were there <laughs> oh no because i mean it, the blade makes an appearance in words of radiance and that was the launch that we were at and so right. i think we all knew that it was going to happen. I kind of had to rack my brain and realize, yeah, wait, we've never actually seen that happen yet. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to just say that there was someone in cosplay as Zeth really convincingly. I, I think, think it was one of, too. yeah, yeah that, that's what I remember yeah. more. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Also, so Ishar is crazy, but he is able to impart some, like sanity to Dalinar towards the end for some reason. And he says, come to Shinovar and talk to me and also please help me be sane and we can reset the oath pact. So this is for sure happening. We're getting into Shinovar. Zeth and Kaladin are going over to Shinovar in book five. Yeah. Do you guys think that there's a chance that book five is more than the 10 days? I mean, that could be a good shock me. Yeah. It wouldn't shock me if the contest of champions is like kind of the well scene in this book where Kaladin, you know, that that was a pretty big climactic moment. Okay. Then the so part like three. Part part three and then Yeah, it's not gonna be Contest of Champion is over and then book is over. Right. Right? We gotta have another twist after that. No, I there's definitely another twist. I think you know what this feels like is predicting the next election after this one just happened. But I feel like we're going to see like maybe Dalinar lose to Odium and then the characters have to figure out how to get their feet under them Dude, after that happens. What if they have to bond? What if they have to figure out how to bond Dalinar use, or using the Oath Pact? Like how to prevent him from from leaving? Dalinar is a spread now? <laughs> well, that's what he's going to kind of be, right? If he loses, he's going to be kind of like a spread that is commanded by Odium. I mean, his spirit. But I think eventually he would become kind of Spren, like kind of like the Heralds are described as yeah, becoming was, more like Spren. This the Herald Spren thing was confusing. Yeah, so they're cognitive shadows that have been like nailed to the oath pact. Honestly, this is not my area of expertise. Yeah. This whole Yeah, we should like, leave when this. They go into this level of of uh Stormlight and Cosmere stuff, I'm just like, yeah, okay, yeah. I, I like Stormlight. Yeah. Well we we should kind of leave this to folks like over at seventeenth chart. But it does talk about, which we can move into our next uh, conversation, about the Lord of Scars. Okay, wait, wait. Before we do that, I, I want to give some Steven some props because I think it was in our part four review when he talked about if Spren can manifest as human in the physical realm and... Sure enough. Yeah, I was shark. way off though. Well, I, I mean, you were. I, I thought I thought that Sill was on the track of manifesting Steven, as can, human somehow. But I mean, here's the thing: we do learn that Honor Spren did better in the physical realm. They're able to last a staggering 15 minutes before their uh-huh. like brains exploded or whatever. And 
what exactly was happening there? Was there some like human organ transplants going on there to try to make them survive better? Dude, I don't know. I mean, that was a very creepy scene. And I don't know what the implications of it are. But I just wanted to give you some credit because you somewhat called that this was going to be a theme of trying to get you didn't call it in this way in like the horror movie type sense. But yeah. Okay, I will accept the credit. Thank you. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot we needed to talk about that part. <laughs> That's the thing. There's so many things that are just kind of thrown at the end that they're like, oh, contract. Oh, this show is experimenting on on Sprint. Oh, yeah. You know, like Tef died. We haven't even talked about Tef dying yet. Oh, that was that was brutal. I know. We talk, should we talk about the next or Josh, did you have something? Well, I wanted to talk about the reveal. I don't want to do like major spoilers from this one in case people haven't read it. But <laughs> okay, so Th- Thydekar, right? Thydekar, the Lord of Scars. Yeah. So, so I think we 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 got to talk about it. So, if you haven't read Mistborn and you're just a Stormlight listener and you don't want something spoiled from Mistborn, then tune out I, now th- for like the next kind of minute up or to so. Mistborn era two. Now, this is Mistborn secret history. Yeah, it's through every it's Mistborn through every era. Mistborn. Yeah, so just general Mistborn spoilers. You can tune out. Three, two, one. Okay, so Thydekar is Kelsier. And pretty much confirmed. Just going to say, who called it? Yeah, you called it, Ben, but then you like retracted <laughs> it as we got further and further into the book. Like, no, man. No, you no, no. I think that. I stuck with it until people were talking about it as if it was fact. I'm like, I still want it to be a theory because I came up with a theory. Now it's fact. I don't know. But apparently we're counting it as, as fact. So. so I will say, I think it's pretty much fact or someone is impersonating Kelsier, right? And, and using the the ghost bloods like i think that something like that could yeah, still be I happening mean, but but with wit's connection to him as well yeah from secret history it's 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 him right yeah, it's yeah. Let, be. Let's, for the purpose of this conversation let's hedge our bets and say it's like 99 percent him and i think i saw a word of brandon where someone said like oh if uh, kelsier was part of one of these organizations which one would he be a part of and brandon's like yeah yeah he'd be running the ghost bloods pretty quickly and so uh guess that was an easy he wasn't question. hiding anything there yeah I mean, that's pretty crazy, man. So, like, I mean, we've all tried to justify this as saying, oh, you know, like, the Ghostbloods, like, maybe some of them are bad. Maybe, like, Kelsey is pretty hands-off, maybe. But the Ghostbloods are pretty bad. They kill a lot of people, a lot of innocent people. I think when the Ghostbloods got real for me were when they killed Shalon's bus driver, not bus driver, but, like, her little driver in, I think it was Way of Kings or maybe Words of Radiance. Uh, just because they wanted to try and kill Shal- Shalon after her first meeting with Maurice. I mean, I would think more to when they tried to kill the Asna. Well, yeah, they tried, and we and we thought they we thought they killed Yalb. Yeah, man, even Yalb would have been devastating. And so, yeah, yeah, this was these are pretty bad guys, but like we do see um, remnants of this between like uh, this and Kelsier's crew. Like Kelsier never Kelsier was always willing to shed a lot of blood. And yeah, Kelsier killed plenty of guys in Mistborn. Right. And he was also, you know, willing to kind of play God with the Ska, right? Like he was kind of using the Ska as part of the rebellion and he knew a lot of them would be killed. Uh-huh. Uh, Murray spends a lot of time talking about the structure of the Ghostbloods, how like you can be ambitious, but you uh, still have to take orders and you still like have to protect your own. And a lot of those things are very reminiscent of like the way Kelsier would run a crew, a crew. You know what I mean? So Kelsier does, and we assume, I guess we assume that there's some, like he's got some motivation. We don't know what it is. 
I don't think he's pure evil. Kelsier hasn't gone pure evil. He must be pursuing some end goal. Yeah, I well, think, I think I think we'll find more out in the next Mistborn when the next Mistborn. I think comes so too. Out. But it's obviously that they're trying to get investiture over to Skadrial. Yeah, so right. if I if I had a guess, we know that part of Marais's goal is like the economics of investiture, right? Like how do you carry investiture over and make a transfer over? And so if I had to guess, it would be Kaladin has found a way to or found a need that he needs to assemble as much investiture as he can together to accomplish his goal. And that the way that he's been able to do that is to make it profitable for people. Similar to how like the Lord Ruler was storing ATM, right? Like he got the economy was somewhat based off of ATM and storing and harnessing that power. So it, I think that Kelsier has found a need for a bunch of investiture and this is how he's going about doing it. And speaking of ATM, we saw what's his uh, uh, Ishar basically burn right. ATM. That was crazy. He was able to see where the attacks would come from as Dalinar absor- observed, right? Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, huh. it's it, it described his fighting a lot. I like, don't, I don't. It could have been that. It could have also been breaths, kind of like the life sense. I it did it did it did sound like a lot like ATM. But my my only question that's ever gotten raffled by Brandon had to do with ATM being like uh, the same power of Odium, and that's why you can't see the future. Telling the future is is considered. Skeptical. Was that also at this infamous Words of Radiance? No, I think that was at I think that was at uh, the Bands of Morning release. Josh is flexing getting Raffod. Yeah, yeah. Josh has quite the relationship with Brandon here. <laughs> this is a very proud moment for me. <laughs> getting your Raffod. That's right. You got the card. You no, got the you card. Didn't have a card. You didn't have a card. So he's ah. like, he's like Raffod, and I would give you a card, but I'm out. <laughs> ah. Josh is a cardless Raffod holder. He was like, oh, Raffod. I would give you a card, but I'm out. Like you, you said. I could totally, I could totally hear his voicing that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right. Okay, fair enough. Josh has a theory. That's a phantology guarantee that Josh got raffled, and that it had to do with ATM being uh, used with uh, Odium's connection. Okay, I like it. Yeah. So Mistborn Era Two at the end, you know, with Trell coming in, and Harmony's scared of Trell, and we don't know what this is. Yeah, I assume that the sequel to Bands of Morning will get some more details, and hopefully that will tie into what Thyatikar is doing. So that spoiler conversation about Thyatikar went way too long, but if you skipped forward, we're now done talking about that. And let's talk about uh, Moash. Moash kills Teft. So, Oof. gosh. Oof. That was tough. Well, okay, here's the thing. In my mind, Sanderson was saying, should I kill Teft or should I kill Liren? Right? Like, it was going to be one of them. I'm okay with the fact that it was Teft. Mainly, I, I think it was a good death, but it wasn't any less emotionally impactful. Right. It was tough. I was man. getting very concerned. I honestly, like, I think I delayed starting part five by a day or so because I was just so concerned that someone was going to die. I was like, this book has gone fairly well so far as far as everyone's staying alive. I mean, the overall events of the tower have gone against us, but... I thought Navani might get offed, and there were a few times where she almost did, and I would not have been okay with that. Yeah. Or Kaladin. Kaladin also could have died. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I thank you for that opening because you said you delayed starting it for a day. I also delayed starting it because I was waiting for somebody to finish reading. And then both of yeah, you man, and then yeah. both of you guys finished before me by a day. You guys are like, I'm just going to rant about that. 
So, so yeah, connecting it back to Star Wars, one of my biggest complaints of... Connecting it back to Star Wars. Oh, right, no, okay, hear me out. One of my biggest complaints about the last movie, which I liked overall, but um, was Rise that... Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker, was that when Chewbacca died, I thought that it might actually, and Ray feeling responsible for that, I was like, dang, maybe she could go bad, right? Like, maybe she could. But then when they brought Chewbacca back, like five minutes later, I'm like, okay, well now she's not going to go bad. You know, they don't have the guts to do it. And so it totally kind of destroyed all the tension in the movie for me. So overall, you liked the last, the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> I, did, I did. Oh my but, gosh. Okay. It's an ice cold take. Okay. No, no. Okay. It wasn't a terrible movie, but I'm just connecting it back to this. This was what Chewbacca should have done for the rise of the Skywalker to make it like an exceptional movie was you had to have one death that like could set, the character down like a really really dark path okay and Tef did that for kaladin and moash knowing kaladin well enough to be like this is what we need to do and just chucking the body down at his feet like that, that was, was that yeah. was really tough that was bad i i had to stop reading after Tef died partly because it was so heavy and partly because i needed to go uh my kid wanted to go to the park and i told him i'd take him and so I, I wanted to get one more chapter in before I took him. And little Ooh. did I know, the last word of that chapter was died. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was that was tough. But I was also glad I had time to like process it um, because that was a tough death. Yeah, like like you say, his de- his death served a really good purpose, and his plot line was at a good point where you know he had just he had just you know kind of moved forward and made peace with some things and opened up to the crew. A bit more and it was a i don't know about a natural place but it made sense for him to die then like it felt okay as a reader i mean i didn't want him to die but at the same time you're like oh you know he's in a really good place right now right right he had kind of reached a good place in his arc like where was he going to go from there yeah i have have a quote i have a quote i want to find you guys keep talking but i want to pull this quote out Unlike with Elokar in Oathbringer, where it was a real big surprise because like, oh, man, this guy is progressing. He's about to swear the, the first ideal. He's he's becoming a better king. And no, he's yeah. he's done. And uh, and also a Moash kill. Yeah. So what did you think Moash when he was kind of fleeing and when he felt started feeling the pain of it? That was really interesting because he said something like, I don't feel bad about it, but he he also doesn't want the pain of it, right? So that's an interesting distinction uh-huh. where you can feel guilty about something without feeling like with still recognizing that you would do it over again. I don't know. Hmm. Don't know about that. I don't know. It, it was it was kind of a weird like to kind of get into like the dichotomy of Moash's head for a second there. Like like he's like Teft. I killed Teft. You know like how did I do that? And then he's like. you know just feeling like so cut up about it but he's like no i don't want to feel this way like i want this pain to be removed come on odm like you're you're failing on your promise to me i don't know that was a crazy scene i just want to i want to read it okay oh is this what we were talking about with the well no this is this is the whole tef death scene okay so i'll start with moash but you know what moash said standing over him there's there is always a part of me that resented how you were so eager to follow him right from the start, his little axe sound licking his feet. He loves you. I thought I'd have, have to use his father, but I'm satisfied. Yeah, what a loser. Yeah, but I'm satisfied to have found something better. 
you're a monster, Teft whispered. Mush uh, took Teft calmly by the front of his burnt shirt and hoisted him up. I am no monster. I am merely silence, the quiet that eventually takes all men. Tell yourself that lie, Moash, Teft growled, gripping the hand that held him, his own claw-like from the horrible pain. And this is like one of my favorite quotes from the book. But know this, you can kill me, but you can't have what I have. You can never have it, because I die knowing that I'm loved. Mosh grunted and dropped him to the ground, then stabbed Tuff directly through the neck with a sharp blade. Confident and somehow still full of hope, Tuff died. Going back to your hope thing. Yeah, it's a good theme. But I die knowing I'm loved, and you can never have that. Dang. Oh, that was yeah. so good. And and especially Taft, who, who never felt loved because his family like grew up in that cult, like, uh-huh. you know, and he never felt the love from his family. He had such a hard life and found his family in Bridge Four and died knowing he's loved. Ah, so good, man. Yeah, I agree. It was super good. Can I just say, though, that I hate sharp blade deaths? Because like, I feel like that's kind of the equivalent of like Bale Fire in Wheel of Time. Like, you can always hope, right? Like, there's other characters in the Cosmere that make appearances in the spiritual realm and to kind of give you like a final send off or whatever. And can that not happen with Teft after we, after your soul is severed no. by a shard? Well, we, we had this debate on discord uh, and it's very yeah. unclear because well, uh, right. It's unclear. Like that's, that's my whole point. I hate shard blade deaths. I, I don't think so. I think it just severs your connect, the spiritual realm to the physical realm. I think it severs that connection. I don't think it destroys your spiritual essence. That that was I, I took a deep dive into this and that's what I came up with. We'll trust you there because I have I have no idea. Okay. Spiritual realm is about where I bottom out as far as <laughs> cosmic stuff goes. Jake's like it's there. Or Steven's like it's there. Jake might know. Yeah. Jake might actually know. Spiritual realm does exist. I can confirm. Okay, so I was worried that Te- that Moash was also going to kill Navani, and I loved her resolution. Yeah, man. You know she slowly gets through. The oath. She convinces the sibling to bond her. She proves Gavilar wrong, and then journey before destination. You bastard, to Moash. <laughs> yes. Oh, the and fixes line. the tower finally. What I wanted the whole book. She she delivered for me. Yeah, I oh. I agree. What an epic scene! And then like Moash is like stumbling back, and he's blinded, and he's oh jeez, and he trips over Rabonail, and I can't say enough about about that scene. It was super good. And then you mentioned Rabonail. Holy cow. Wait, okay. Let's stay on Navani a little bit longer because Navani was super awesome. And were you guys satisfied that she became this, this next Bondsmith? I mean, I thought it was good. It was setting her up, Relaine up, and David up. And, and David, potentially. David was always kind of the, the dark horse, the long shot. It seemed like Relaine was almost too obvious. And so when it was Navani, you're like, of course it's going to be Navani. It was Navani the whole time. I thought it was good for me, at least. I, I I was very satisfied with that. Yeah, I like it. I do think that like it's it's going to be another interesting dynamic with her and Dalinar. You know, like both Bondsmiths. They're Bondsmiths bonding. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those like power couples. It's not. <laughs> it's it's not something that is uncommon because previously the the uh, Night Watcher Bondsmith and the Stormfather Bondsmith were you know had some relations as. Uh, you know, honor and cultivation did as well. So that made sense. But they're like, oh, with the sibling, that's kind of weird because that Bondsmith and the sibling have always been oddballs. Yeah. So do you think that their child will be some type of spren now? Like, 
Oh, I don't think that they might not even have kids. I mean, Bonnie's Bonnie's into her sixties. Oh, yeah. So I don't know how biology works. Stormlight, on HR, Stormlight but... can uh can do some stuff. Yeah. In t- in ten days, I don't think they're having a kid. <laughs> this will be like a this will be like a twilight birth where like the baby grows like super fast. Oh gosh! All right, Star Wars and Twilight have now made appearances. <laughs> okay, yeah. Navani's plotline was probably the best well done throughout the book for me. I mean, because it, you had like the pro- clear and steady progression the whole time, yeah. right? Even though it's like we slogged through it a little bit, as we can attest in our part four review, the the payoff was epic, and being able to like see into like the tower. Okay, so this is one thing I wanted to talk to you about, Stephen. This might be like for overall discussion, but like, did the tower give you enough payoff by the end? having it quote come alive almost because i don't necessarily know exactly what coming alive means they talked about a lot of these different fabrials that are now available to be used but they didn't have enough time to really explore them yet mm-hmm. and they've talked about like the flying i thought that the airships were going to become more of a thing right and they really weren't that important it seems like they could have done something like that in emul where they're talking about like the at one point, they were on like a hovering guard or tower, and that's where they met the yeah. Nile or what? Nail. So they met Nile. Nile. Nail. Yeah. Yeah. So real, real quick, I wanted to talk to to just mention Rabonail and how quick that was done. That death was in part five, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that that whole death. Yeah, yeah, it was. And so, so I really liked how she, how we gave this because before you're like, well, she could just kill Navani, and then like all that information is gone. Well, that's that's the argument that Navani made. So yes, okay, continue. But but she was never going to do that because she always wanted both sides to have this information yeah, for sure. I totally mischaracterized uh, Rabonail. I mean, she was just such a well done villain slash hero. Like it was, she was so well done because she wanted both sides to have to be able to kill the other side. So she was like both sides hero and villain. It was so well done. She was like uh, giving everybody nuclear weapons and then like pointing them at each other it was like the opposite of mutually assured destruction it was like you both need to destroy each that's that's what mutually assured destruction is no but it was like you both need to pull the trigger right right exactly yeah and and i i feel like that mindset was epitomized when she killed her daughter right like anything is better anything is better even if it's like the final death than like this ageless slog of insanity really like insanity inducing wars yeah and yeah and i felt like it was crazy when i forget what the scene was what but like navani realized how just how old uh Rubaniel was yeah when she was talking about the don chat right yeah the don chat and she's like this person is like older than old you know and that's like what kind of perspective must she have i don't know anyway yeah. Totally well done character. I I eat my words a little bit on Rabonail. Good stuff. Okay, so two more characters that we got smaller moments from. So Venli finally shows that she's a Night Radiant, which goes surprisingly well with Leshwi and kind of leads to this mini rebellion that becomes the emulsifier that Navani has been searching for. Relaine becomes a truth watcher. They all go out to the Shattered Plains which is something I didn't think that they would have time to do in part five. So I was wrong there and they find the listeners and this was like Venley's book. It was supposed to be Venley's book, but I feel like Navani, I feel like it was Navani's book, not Venley's book. Yeah. 
Mike, Mike from Mike's book review talks about that, how it should have been the violence book. Yeah. 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 I, I, I totally agree with that. That was cool. The, the Leshwe thing was a twist and how Leshwe like had a spren that. That she knew of right. back in the day. Yeah. That was awesome. Also the chasm fiend that apparently the. Yes. The listeners have chasm fiends. Right. That was a cool twist. I mean, we, we have. What's her name? Having cherry cherry risen, having cherry cherry. And then the listeners have the chasm fiend. Yes. We have great shells entering the fray. Yeah. Somehow we'll see if they can make it into the, t- within 10 days. Yeah. So Venley for me, like I care about her more after going through all this, but I feel like I was kind of forced to, and I was never super excited to read her parts. I did think the final flashback with the Shonai as she was dying, being able to ride the storms Gosh. and yeah. see everything, which she'd always wanted to. I thought that was really good. Yeah. So there were some, certainly some good parts with Venley and Eshenai, but overall is like, yeah, I like the other characters more. Yeah, I agree. I also don't think we like learned anything super instrumental here. The best part. We'll see what happens. The best part of it was the, the yeah. The best part of it was uh, Eshenai's final flashback. I'm with you on that. All right, our last character, Shalon. Didn't do much. Her and Adolin only got one chapter. They finally, they give a name to the spren that she killed, Testament, and they find a Seon in the cube. So, you know, what's up, Elantris and Cell yeah. crossover. They talk about the Lord of Scars. We already killed that one. And then Shalon's storyline from here, she is going to middle finger the Ghostbloods and go after Ba'edo Mishram. And it implies that she wants to start exploring the Cosmere more and she's ready to become a world topper or something like that and i'm kind of confused where shallan and adolin are going from here because they don't seem to be tied in to the conflict that's going on right now that we cared about for the past you know 20 chapters reading and all of a sudden it's like oh yeah shallan and adolin are still uh doing this thing that we thought was really important and it turns out like it wasn't important for this book at all right like plus because the we have like a, a conflict ending uh contract right like it feels like all Dalinar has to do is like, it feels like what, what use are the, the spring going to be at this point to the humans? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm confused. Yeah. Confused. Yeah. So hopefully that has a bigger, a better, better payoff. I thought that this mystery of the recreants after, uh, after Testament revealed or not Testament after Maya revealed that they chose and all that, like I said, okay, this is going to be huge for the end of the book. We're going to get, get something here involving the oath pact. And, there was nothing. It was not a thing in, in Rhythm of War. Josh, are we wrong? Can you save us here? <laughs> well, I think it's going to have bigger implications for Eridu of, of Stormlight. Okay. Because... A- agreed. Agreed. And in the ne- and in probably in the next book, as we reform the Oath Pact or, or something to that effect happens, but in Rhythm of War, did it feel out of place at all? that this whole thing was happening off to the side that had virtually no implications for the conflict we cared about. I know because I cared about it. I mean, you're right that it didn't have any implications for the main conflict, but I mean, I think that this is just kind of when you realize that this is a really, really big series. And I mean, if you compare it to something like the wheel of time, this kind of stuff happened all the time, you know, when, some characters would be off on a side quest that didn't really connect them. Yeah, for sure. Hashtag bowl of wins. Uh. Hopefully this is better than bowl of wins. 
Right. So this did not connect to like this main conflict at Yuri through the way that that's fair. No. That's fair. But, yeah, but I think it, sometimes we're like looking at these books. We're like, man, we love these books so much. And they're like, ah, that thing could have been better. That wasn't quite right. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, there's so much here. Yeah. And and even like in The Way of Kings, it's not like Shallan like really had a big impact on that's you true. Know, the bridge crews and Words of Radiance, same thing. I mean, she's but like there. I think, like, I think that what we're of, saying, though, Josh, is that this was set up to be the big one of the big resolutions throughout the series was getting the spren back on the side of human humans. It seemed like it was very important. It's on the cover. Yeah. I feel like that's, I feel like that's kind of weird in the fact that like, well now who cares about this brand and humans because we have a champion and we know that the resolution is going to come there. Well, okay. So, so you're right. This is why I think that it might have bigger implications for era two slash we don't know if it's going to the fifth book is going to end with the conflict of champions and also i think that the the battle that battling with spren and humans and this this bonding is going to have a bigger implication than just fighting the fused you know like okay it might be fighting in the tranquil tranquil and halls which sure know, fighting like in the big so it sounds like josh you're very hopeful that this will do something whereas steven and i are saying it's weird that it didn't it hasn't done anything yet it's setting up more stuff this was all about a setup yeah yeah right so it it was very important that the recreants was chosen by both human and spring right like that is essential to know it was really important for i think shallan's character development I mean, what's the alternative? They just stay at the tower, and I don't know. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. I guess what I just, I just done. want a new cover. I want a new cover <laughs> with your year on it, and Kaladin flying through the air, and Navani being amazing. Yeah, I'm sure you'll get that cover eventually, Stephen, and I'm <laughs> sure you'll buy that <laughs> that book. Okay. Oh yes, you are so right. Oh <laughs> man. Okay, briefly, if you are listening to the podcast, we are going to have Michael Kramer and Kit Redding. Read in our intro for Worst of the Best now. The Worst of the Best. With so many exemplary moments in this book, it's almost unfair to nitpick. But that's the segment. It's the pimple on the princess. The stain on the satin. And the terror before the triumph. The unfortunate portion of an otherwise stellar performance. Someone has to point it out. And Ben, go ahead and give us yours. Okay, I'm going to have two quickly. I'm going to say it. I know you guys aren't going to like it. I, don't do it. I don't. If, it, if you, you're going to say TN, just stop. No, oh, gosh. I'm not going to say TN. I'm going to say the, the worst part of the best part of the book was Calden getting his plate in that moment because to me the plate didn't do anything in that moment like what it gave him extra strength to catch his dad's arm like no dude he was able to to part the storm with all the wind spraying yeah. and, and burst through and save him yeah but the plate didn't do, like to me the plate made its grand entrance when he like saved the uh Aiden, Aiden. he came back in and he was like the plate was flying around right. from person to person. Like freaking magic carpet yeah. status. Yeah. So like that was cool. But like to me, 
that was the worst. Like, it didn't need the plate right at that moment. He could have gotten one sprint on his side without revealing so his what, plate. Were you hoping know, that man. somebody was, like, thrusting their shard blade toward him, and right when he did, they, he saw the fourth ideal, and then, like, plate crusted over him and saved his life? That would have been cool. I'm just saying that <laughs> in terms of rescuing his dad, it, it was just the worst part of it for me. Okay. So, okay. I, I, I don't know. It, it was like an Iron Man thing for me. All of a sudden, you know, the plate was formed around him and he was able to get a get a control over his fall and, and save his, his body. His dad seeing him in his plate. Oh, that was so yeah. cool to me. Like, like seeing his son as the radiant that he is. Because it, it is interesting. His dad always hated seeing Kaladin with his shard blade. Like he would kind of eye it like, oh, you have that. Thing. Yeah. You know, and now this like, is like when, to protect. Okay. Yeah, even in Oathbringer when he came and like put it down in the city hall or whatever, and yeah, Liren, you know, I think I remember Liren giving him some shade when he did that, and now seeing Kaladin and his like protection, like this is what's going to protect people and save people. That was just that was great. Okay, so I all right, Ben, we destroyed your first one. Let's okay, this is my second one. The the way okay, obviously Sanderson's done a great job with depression. I feel like he's kind of taking an easy way out with this whole 10 day thing because Kellen's like at the final scene, he says something to Downer like, Oh, like Downer's like, sorry for taking you off command. Kellen's like, Oh no, you were right to do that. I still have a lot of work to do. And then Downer's like, okay, but I need you right now. And Kellen's like, all right, I can go right now. So like, I feel like the whole depression thing, while I don't like as a reader, I kind of like am ready for it to be, solved everybody's made such good points about how like that never happens in real life i kind of feel like like sanderson has kind of found a loophole with that with this whole next 10 days thing i don't, I don't know i don't it, know it, it straight up says like oh yeah i'm still gonna work on myself i'm still gonna go to these meetings yeah i promised taft okay like he's just saying he's, he's not ready to be place. he's not ready to be the champion but he's certainly still ready to go on this mission with zeth okay fair enough Obviously, my worst of the best wasn't worthy, so let's hear your guys'. All right, briefly, mine is the emulsifier thing. I thought Navani's plotline was the best. It was the best part of the book from beginning to end. There were some slow parts, yes, but the payoff was amazing, and the parallel structure was awesome. The whole thing, she was looking for this emulsifier of, of something to bring the light together, and it ended up being the humans and the singers working together, and singing the tones together and getting the tower to wake up. I mean, like, I get it, but I also don't get it. Like, how did that power up the sibling more? Because she was seeing it. Like, how did they know what they were saying? How did the humans know what tone to sing? I don't know. I didn't quite make all the connections that I feel like I was supposed to. And maybe that's on me because I was reading it and there was just so much going on. But yeah, for such an awesome thing is like one thing that was like, yeah, okay, I just accepted it. Yeah. I think that is kind of the thing with these transitions in the magic systems is like you just kind of have to accept that you're given new information about how the magic works and Sanderson yeah. likes to dress that up as kind of sciency, but and then it is just you're given new information about the magic system. Yeah. Side on the side of awesome sometimes, as as he says with his rules. Okay, Josh, what's yours? So, so mine was the battle of the windrunners with Ashar. And for as well as Sanderson does action scenes, I feel like this one was just okay. You know, like with it being kind of part of the Sanderlanch when they're all fighting and it's swapping back and forth to this battle and the and the tower and all these uh -huh. things. Like, I felt like it was just kind of like he phoned it in almost, you know, with a shark kind of destroying all these windrunners. 
you didn't really care about the Wind Runners besides like you knew their names and you know Lynn had a relationship with Kaladin and Sigzil. Sigzil's cool. Sigzil, yeah, Sigzil was there, but they they haven't been in the book for a long time. And like yeah. none of them died. You kind of kind of wish that they had a headache, dude. Yeah, they had a <laughs> but like, you know, I wish that they would have died or some of them would have died or something. Or How crazy is it that you could like connected them to the ground and like funneled all the stormlight? That was cool. I mean, that yeah. was some next level stuff that Dalinar was like, holy crap. And then the Stormfather was very concerned about. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that kind of stuff was cool, but just the actual mechanics of the fight itself yeah. with how well I think Sanderson what you, usually I think what does. you're hearing, what I'm hearing is that he needed like a Sigzil viewpoint of Sigzil actually fighting him and being overwhelmed and not just like Dalinar observing the fight. Yeah, okay, that's that's fair. Yeah, maybe that could have improved. Okay, that's a wrap for part five. We are going to do one additional episode where we talk about the entire book. So I think we kind of made some of those points. You're going to hear some of the same things, but we're going to go from you know part one through part five and kind of recall, uh, I guess, how the whole thing fit together a and bit I, more. And I want to be a little bit more critical of like the overall aspect of the book and just kind of like give it a, bigger yeah. like a rating as a whole book you know? numbers will be attached a rating will be made we will stack up <laughs> we will do a tier uh, not a tier list but we will at least stack up our, our top four you know out of the existing stormlight archive books so there will be reasons to listen to that episode that will be coming out soon and then we will take a break from stormlight archive and go to other things we're reading the i'm reading the dragon republic right now we're going to get into the burning god both by arf kwong and then i think fires of vengeance is coming josh and jake are reading the stand there's maybe a few other things maybe like ready player two or dune may make an appearance so working on a lot of things as we get into 2021 thanks for listening and we will see you guys later see you next time